Good morning, Evergreen Church family. What a glorious morning, amen? We have Shohei Otani to the Dodgers. We're two weeks away from Christmas, and as Pastor Rocky mentioned, this is awesome. We could come together on the Lord's Day to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? All right, so this morning... We're going to be going over the book of Jonah, and we're going to be focusing on chapter 1. And this past fall, the youth went through a Bible study on the book of Jonah. It was awesome teaching the Word of God with brothers Matt Chan and Jeff Lowe. They did a great job preaching the Word of God to our youth. And if you read the book of Jonah, you know that it's a whale of a story. So I believe it should be shared with the entire church family. So before we dive into the message with the book of Jonah, I want to share a quote from Pastor John Piper. He said, If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be satisfied if Christ was not in heaven? John Piper's point is that heaven is a place where God himself supremely resides. Even if he arrived in heaven and received everything we wanted, friends, family, riches, wealth, health, we would have no desire to be there if God himself was not present. God is the center of it all. In that sense, the people who are preparing for heaven are the people who are centered on God and his presence. Pastor Mark Devers states the opposite is true as well. He says, hell is the place where God and his presence are absent. And the individual whom Scripture promises will go to hell are individuals whose lives are already marked by indifferences to God, by coldness to God's law, and they pursue loves different than God's love. This morning, does that sound like the life that you are currently living? Fleeing from God's love, fleeing from what God Loves the lost. Loves the gospel. Are you loving what God does not love? The book of Jonah will help us examine our hearts and answer that question this morning. So before we get into Jonah 1.1, I want to share some context. First of all, it's important for us to note that Jonah was a real person. We've seen far too many coloring books with Jonah and the big fish. We might start assuming that Jonah is a myth. But as Sister Karen read earlier, Matthew 12, it's very important to note that Jesus refers to Jonah not as a myth, but as an actual person in history. Also, the Bible documents Jonah as a prophet in 2 Kings 12, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Jonah, the son of Amittite, the prophet, who was of Gath Heifer. 
Some people and liberal commentators might say, hey, I can't believe a man lived in the belly of fish for three days, right? It's just, it, it just too impossible to believe. Well, if you could believe in the resurrection story, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later, then I think you can believe in the book of Jonah. Amen? Amen. The resurrection is a greater miracle than Jonah. Also, I believe in Jesus' words more than any person or any commentator could ever say. Another important point is that I believe that this story is coming from Jonah himself. Either he penned these words or he told this story to the person that wrote this book. The details of this book are just too vivid to come from somewhere else. There are things that Jonah could have only known himself. For example, in chapter 2, nobody else was with him in the belly of the fish other than Jonah, where Jonah proclaims in verse 9, the title of the sermon, Salvation Belongs to Yahweh. And if you're new to church, Yahweh is the personal name of God. Also, if you take a look in chapter 4, Jonah was alone outside the city walls in Nineveh when God appointed a plant to grow and it withered away because of a worm. No one else knew that except for Jonah. So we are walking through a story documented by Jonah himself and we need to read it as such. So please rise as I read Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Yet Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. So he went down to Joppa, found the ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid its fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. But Yahweh hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship gave thought to breaking apart. Then the sailors became fearful, and every man cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the innermost part of the vessel, laying down and fallen deep asleep. So the captain came near to him and said to him, How is it that you are deeply sleeping? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Then each man said to the other, Come, let us have the lots fall so we may know on whose account this calamitous evil has struck us. So they had the lots fall, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamitous evil struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, 
And I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became greatly fearful, and they said to him, What is this you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become quiet for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. So he said to them, Lift me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become quiet for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the man rode desperately to return to dry land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy against them. Then they called on Yahweh and said, Ah, O Yahweh, we earnestly pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Yahweh, as you have pleased, you have done. So they lifted Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. And the sea stood still from its raging. Then the men greatly feared Yahweh, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your precious word and speaking to us through the book of Jonah. May you be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word. May your word continue to edify us and evangelize the lost. And may you continue to open our ears and soften our hearts for us to know you more as our holy and glorious God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I know that was a, a little bit longer passage than normal. Have you ever experienced a time in your life when there's a gap between what you know and who you are? If so, it's a very dangerous way to approach life. Where we start confusing the theology that we have collected in our minds with the life that we actually live. It will bring great trouble in our lives. It's a life that leads us to flee from God. The life of Jonah was like that. So the book of Jonah is a narrative. This book is not a letter written like the Apostle Paul, like Titus. It's a story that is being given to us. Also, as a narrative, we're looking out for the conversations within this story. We need to identify the people the key players in this story. That's going to be important for us to understand the main point of this chapter and book. This morning, we have the three characters as our points from chapter one. The first character is Jonah. The second character are the sailors. And the third character is God. When it's all said and done, my hope is that we shall see that our God is mighty to save, that salvation belongs to him. We have a God who is compassionate, merciful, and is abounding and steadfast love. 
It's our first character, Jonah. The story begins with a commission that is given by God to Jonah. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Notice verses 1 and 2 starts off very normal, right? Sounds pretty standard for God to commission a prophet. But it doesn't take long before everything goes haywire in this book. The prophet of God, Jonah, directly disobeys what the Lord has commanded him to do. This command by God exposes Jonah. And keep in mind, before the book of Jonah, everything seems fine in Jonah's life. In 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah was commanded to go and proclaim the prophecy of blessing to his people, the nation of Israel. During a time of doubt, they're given a promise that the Lord will expand their borders and bring blessings to them. Of course he's happy to obey and proclaim that message. Ministry is awesome for Jonah in 2 Kings. But starting in Jonah 1.1, when the Lord commands them to do something that he does not like, it becomes evident about who he really worships and who he really follows. Can you see who Jonah is really worshiping in his heart? Can you see that? At that specific point, you see his idolatry in his soul when the commands are in line with God's will. But when God's will is not in line with Jonah's will, with the things that Jonah really loves, treasures, follows, and worships, Jonah's heart is exposed. So how does Jonah respond when his instructions from God is not in line with his desires? Let's take a look at verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, yet, some of your translation might say, but, it's not a very good start. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. Jonah went the opposite direction from where God was commanding him to go. He should have went east, 500 miles towards current day Iraq. Instead, he went west, 2,500 miles away to Tarshish towards Spain. Jonah wanted to flee from the presence of God. Jonah doesn't take very long to reveal how blatant his disobedience was. We're told when he gets to the ship, he actually tells the people that he is running away from God. That's how the sailors knew. He actually told them. He's not hiding the fact that he is disobeying God. Also, this is very important, a big note. Jonah and the state of his heart is exposed by his prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. You look at the prophet of God, when trouble rises, what does Jonah do? As Christians, we pray as the most basic response when trouble comes, right? That's what we normally do. They're going through a terrifying moment when the storm is raging and the waves are violent and the ship is being tossed around. And check this out. And it's a pagan captain that comes to the bottom of the ship and finds Jonah doing what? 
What was he doing? He was sleeping. This reveals the spiritual condition of Jonah's heart. Let's look at verse 6. So the captain came near to him and said to him, How is it that you are deeply sleeping? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Wow, wow. We're not talking about a new believer who's struggling. This is the prophet Jonah. And yet something has happened in his heart that has sent this man so far away from God. Jonah is unashamed to rebel against God. He's publicly telling people, I'm running away from God. And when trouble comes, he's not praying. And when they wake him up to pray, does he pray? Does he pray in this whole chapter? No, he's still not praying. He knows exactly what he's doing. Jonah is doing the exact opposite of what God has asked him to do. When people are telling him to pray to God, he will not pray. When they finally realize it was Jonah that has caused this great storm, what does Jonah do? What's the solution that Jonah comes up with? I want to repent and please send me to Nineveh. No, he doesn't do that. He basically says, throw me overboard. I will not repent. I will not ask for mercy. I know that we're in a storm right now because I'm disobeying a sovereign God. And yet, I would rather die than turn away from my ways and follow him. Church, how did Jonah get to this point? How did he get to this point? It's scary to think. But can we also get to this point as well? To a place where a couple of books before, you're doing faithful ministry, serving God, announcing his blessings and his wishes upon God's people. And now you're blatantly walking in disobedience. Clearly in this section, one of the most shocking things is what Jonah says about himself. Please take a look at verse 9. Verse 9. This is a pivotal verse in the chapter. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Let me read that again. Maybe I misread it or there's a typo. Let me read that again. I'm a Hebrew, and I do what? I fear Yahweh? Really, Jonah? Do you really fear Yahweh? By looking at your life, there's no evidence that you fear God. Notice, however, Jonah's theology is solid. Are you seeing that? How does he articulate who Yahweh is? Yahweh is the sovereign God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. You know what's amazing about the book of Jonah? His theology is not the problem at all. He is solid all the way through. But there's something going on here. Jonah is quite confused by what he knows about God and what is going on in his heart. Because Jonah is happy to say, I fear Yahweh. 
The book of Jonah is going to be a journey of God helping Jonah understand that disconnect. What Jonah really knows about himself and what he is worshiping are different. Jonah loved Israel passionately and was considered a national hero. But now he is being sent to proclaim mercy and grace to the enemies of God's people. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. The Ninevites were known for the brutality with the way they treated their enemies. For example, they would skin their enemies alive and cut their limbs and display them. They would also string their captives together through a a ring in their mouth like a fishing stringer as they marched back to Nineveh. They were bad and barbaric people. So there there were reasons why Jonah hated the Ninevites. A commentator stated it's like a Jew preaching mercy and grace to the Nazis during World War II. I know that's an extreme example, but it made me think, how will we respond in a similar situation? How do we respond when we're confronted with the truth of God's word and his commands? Will we do any better than Jonah? Do you love what God loves? Or do you love your desires more? This morning, perhaps God's word is convicting you to forgive a person that has betrayed you. Why? Because God loves you and has forgiven you. Perhaps God's word is convicting you to share the gospel at the next family Christmas party. Why? For your Savior to be glorified and for your lost family members to be saved. Perhaps God's word is convicting you to pray for unity as we transition into eldership. Why? Because God loves a faithful, unified church. Perhaps God is convicting you to become a church member. Even though you've been attending our church for years, why? Because membership matters. It's biblical. It gives you structure for discipleship to happen. But church family, I'm super encouraged in the way that our church is responding to God's word. As a church, I believe that God has taken us into uncharted territories, revealing that we are loving what God loves more and more every day. As I mentioned before, In the past year, we've had 60 new church members. Praise God. Amen? That's awesome. 60 souls excited about discipleship, intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. And I know for some, it wasn't easy. They left their previous churches. They loved their previous church family. But they came here because they love God's word. And it's encouraging to see how God supremely resides in their hearts over anything else. Also, I'm encouraged by faithful church members and our executive board. As you know, some people have left our church as we transition into eldership. But I'm encouraged with the faithful core members that we have here at Evergreen Church, especially the new EB members. 
that are doing a great job paving the way for us to have eldership one day. I'm encouraged in the way that we're trusting God with our church's finances. I know that we're not used to being in the red. Normally we're in the black. But God knew that we will be in the red during this season and has providentially given us a reserve. And I can see how God is using the deficit to refine our hearts. It's encouraging to know that our church is still focused on discipleship. We haven't wavered on that. Amen? And when our treasurer, Jimmy Lee, was presenting our finances at our last congregational meeting, for me, sitting on stage, it was super encouraging to see how we responded. I can see how much our church trusted the Lord. God is maturing us spiritually through our finances. And finally today, it's super encouraging knowing that Jacob will be baptized later this morning. Praise God, amen? It's a beautiful testimony. It's just beautiful on what God is doing at our church. God is good, isn't he? It's awesome seeing how God is transforming lives through the power of his word. Seeing brothers like Jacob loving and obeying God's command for Yahweh's glory. It's super encouraging to see how our church is obeying and responding to God's word. So going back to Jonah, overall, Jonah is actually doing us a favor by exposing the ugliness of what's going on in his own heart in a bare and raw way, in an unfiltered fashion. This is truly what's going on in Jonah's heart. He's not sugarcoating anything. He was straight up rebelling against God. Life was good for Jonah before the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verses 0 was a comfortable season for him, right? Jonah's idols have not been challenged and addressed yet. And when you think about it, ministry is going good for Jonah. Jonah is doing God's work until the sovereign Lord ordained something to happen that Jonah did not like. Was it because it was inconsistent with the character of God? No. The reason Jonah did not like it because it was inconsistent with Jonah's passions and idols. And when that happens, it becomes quite clear who Jonah is truly worshiping. Jonah has proper theology, but in his heart, worshiping different gods. And it's leading Jonah further away from God than he could ever, ever imagine. Prophet Jonah has gone astray from God. Now as the story builds up, we move on to the next character, the sailors, the sailors. This crew on the ship is made up of pagans. These guys are worshiping false gods 
And when they finally wake up Jonah, what did they tell him? Remember verse 6. The captain tells them to wake up and to pray to my God. No, your God. Pray to your God. The captain is basically telling Jonah, let's just cover all of our bases. We'll pray to our gods. You wake up and pray to your God. And perhaps one of them might be able to hear us and save us. That is who they are. They're pagans. In this chapter, there's a very clear progression for the sailors. First, we're told when the storm begins in verse 5, the sailor, sailors became fearful. That's what happens when your ship is being thrown around in a storm. Fear comes into their hearts. It's interesting. As the narrative continues and the sea gets more and more intense, the crew goes down and asks Jonah, what's actually going on with you? And if you take a look at verse 8, the sailor said, tell us now, on whose account has this calamitous evil struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And what does Jonah tell them? Verse 9, and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is very important. Notice what comes after this information. Verse 10, then the man became greatly fearful. Greatly fearful. Not just fearful, greatly fearful. Okay, you have it here. They start off with being afraid because of the rough seas. But when they understand it's not just the rough seas, now they're against God. The God of heaven who made the seas. So are they just fearful? No, they are greatly fearful because they are now against Yahweh and they're terrified. What's most powerful in the story is how the story ends for the sailors. They reluctantly tossed Jonah overboard, right? They didn't want to do it initially. And what happens after that? Take a look at verse 15. So they lifted Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. And the sea stood still from its raging. So everything is calm now. And I want you to really picture the scene. Just visualize this in your mind. The boat was being battered and tossed around in the sea. The boat is on the verge of breaking and sinking. This is really bad. They're afraid. Jonah is sleeping. What's going on? It's God causing the storm. This is even worse than we thought. We're now experiencing God's wrath. This is a chaotic scene. The sailors are dumping cargo and rowing desperately to dry land. And it gets even worse. They're debating if they should throw Jonah off the boat. Finally, they toss Jonah overboard. Then it's calm. It's calm. The water's flat. The sky is blue again. White clouds. The sun is out. The seagulls are back, flying around the boat. But what happens when the storm went away? Verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. 
Then the men greatly, greatly feared Yahweh. What? Keep in mind, the seas are calm now. But when they're done, they're afraid of this God, despite the calmness in the sea. What's most amusing in the story is Jonah. When Jonah is asked who he is, again, in verse 9, he responds. What does he say? I'm a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh. When the story comes to an end, who fears Yahweh? It's the pagan sailors who are fearing Yahweh. Not only fearing, but greatly fearing Yahweh. They offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. That's what's going on here. These sailors start off as pagans. And remember in verse 6, they tell Jonah, perhaps you're God. Remember that? Perhaps Jonah's God will hear them. As though Yahweh is one of many gods out there. But when the storm ends, what do they say? Let's look at verse 16. Then the men feared. Who did they fear? They feared Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And what did they do? They offered a sacrifice and made vows to Yahweh. When the chapter is coming to an end, there are people worshiping Yahweh. And it's not Jonah. Not the guy with all the theology. It's the pagan sailors with all this mess. Jonah has strayed away so far from God in his heart. But God hasn't given up on Jonah. In fact, this entire story isn't really about Nineveh, the great city where over 120,000 people repented. This story is about God who saves, who's going to pursue Jonah all the way to the end. That's what the story is about. God loves Jonah. God is merciful towards him, and he will pursue him. But guess what? This God will save even in Jonah's disobedience. Also, the God who saves is saving people through Jonah's disobedience. Out in the sea, you cannot thwart God's saving purpose. And this disobedient servant, even with all his disobedience, it leads to God and his mercy. Providentially, God still used Jonah to spread his mercy and compassion to others. Even though Jonah is a terrible example on following God. Despite that, this God will not be thwarted in his purposes to save. Amen? And now we come to our third character, God. Notice lastly, this book is all about God. He's the main character here. Ultimately, Jonah and the sailors are the foil in the story. They're just the backdrop in which God paints a picture of God's saving glory. That's the role that they're playing. And the truth about this God are taught from the beginning to the end of this chapter. Notice first and foremost that this God that is being revealed here is the sovereign God. He's the sovereign God over all things. 
God doesn't owe Nineveh anything. He's not asking Jonah to go to Nineveh because they're entitled to a second chance. This God does whatever he pleases. This includes showing mercy to whomever he pleases. And in this instance, this is Nineveh. Whether Jonah likes it or not. The sovereign Lord does not negotiate with anyone on who will or who will not be included into his kingdom. Jonah's hatred towards the Ninevites does not influence the sovereign Lord. And the sovereign Lord has decided, you know what? I want Nineveh, your, your, your enemies, to have a second chance and repent from their sins. Jonah is not in charge here. God is. God's sovereignty is all over this book. When Jonah is running from God, what does God do? Let's look at verse 4. But Yahweh hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship gave thought to breaking apart. God hurls a hurricane into the sea. When the sailors are not listening to Jonah, they are rowing harder. What does God do? He increases the tempo. That's a sovereign God. Yahweh's strength is on another level. Everybody else in the story are just little tiny beings compared to God that is on display. Yahweh is our great, mighty, powerful God. So this chapter comes to an end in verse 17. We're told that Yahweh appointed a great fish. Everything is under Yahweh's authority. Fish, go swallow my servant. And that's how the book of Jonah speaks of Yahweh. This is who Yahweh is. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. We're speaking about a God who is mighty to save. It's important to know what kind of God he is. Yahweh has no limits to his power and might. He is in complete control. He is sovereign. Also, he is our righteous God. Let's look at verse 2. This is what Yahweh said. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. That's who he is. He's a judge of all the earth, the righteous judge. All the evil deeds of the earth come up before him. The judgment that's going to be proclaimed to Nineveh is a righteous judgment. If this God chooses to crush Jonah, it's a righteous judgment. If this God decides to destroy the pagan sailors, it's a righteous judgment. This God is righteous, and all that he does is right. But notice, above all these things, this God, as he reveals himself, is a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. That's what the story is all about. Why do the wicked Ninevites get a second chance? 
Why do pagan sailors who refer to Yahweh as your God get a second chance? Because Yahweh is a merciful God. Above all, in this story, why doesn't God just replace Jonah, right? You're probably thinking the whole time. And get a better preacher. Because if you look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, I'm not even lying or fronting. It's a terrible sermon that he preaches to the Ninevites. It's a one-sentence sermon. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. It doesn't have an intro. There's no three points. There's no application. Plus, he hated the Ninevites. Jonah is a stubborn guy. Why is a God that mighty bothering with a servant that rebellious? Why doesn't God just find another servant? Because God is merciful beyond our wildest imagination. That's who Yahweh is. And when the story is coming to an end, when Nineveh repents and we see the anger in this prophet's heart in Jonah 4.2, Jonah says, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning evil. That is who God is. God delights to relent from disaster. When Jonah barely turns in the right direction, God saves him from the bottom of the ocean. When the Ninevites turn a little and repent as they hear the word of God, God is there forgiving them. He's eager to cleanse their sins. And when the pagan sailors are confused, they don't know what's going on because they don't know much about Yahweh besides hearing from the rebellious prophet and their experience in the ship. Yet, when they turn a little bit, God relents from disaster. This is who God is in the story. He is a God who is mighty to save. And notice this. What's not happening in Jonah's heart, it happens in the heart of the sailors. They get it. They see this. They experience it. They saw themselves as those who were about to die. Yet they see the mercy, the grace, the kindness, and the compassion of this God who spared them of death. And how does this chapter end? When everything is calm, they greatly feared Yahweh. They do that because they have experienced the mercy and grace of this God, which Jonah is not doing. The reality for us is that we need to see the gospel more than anything else. To see what the sailors saw. The wrath of God with the raging waves and the powerful storm because of Jonah's disobedience. Knowing that their lives were on the line. So what brought the calmness? What brought the calmness to the storm? Jonah being thrown into the wrath of God.
That's what saved the people in the ship. Jonah being cast out to face the anger of God in the sea. And that's what brought calm and peace on the ship. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us that he is the greater Jonah because he will die for his people that place their trust in him as a Lord and Savior. Matthew 12, 41 tells us the man of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Let me ask you a very important question. This morning, are you rebelling against God? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Do you really have peace in your heart? The only way you can have peace with God is through Christ. God gives us the greatest news ever. It's called the gospel. Where a perfect and holy God made mankind in his own image. But man rebelled against God. All of us have fallen short of God's glory, as stated in Romans 3.23. And it separated our relationship with God. But because of God's great love for us, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to die on the cross for the sins of believers, and rose again three days later to prove that God was satisfied with his perfect sacrifice and that Christ is indeed Yahweh, our Lord and Savior. And now we have a choice. You can either reject or ignore this message where the Bible clearly tells us that we will be separated from God forever in hell, experiencing his wrath. Or, or, we can repent from our sins and trust Christ for our salvation as our Lord and Savior and be with him forever in heaven. So just like the sailors who experience God's mercy and grace, believers give Yahweh that sacrifice of praise and that worship that Jonah is clearly missing. We need to see Christ. Christ is our answer. Jonah had a massive disconnect from his heart. Jonah's loyalism to Israel was above everything else in his life. He loved it to the point, even going against God's command and will. That's how much he loved that idol in his heart. Jonah displayed anger, disobedience, and prayerlessness. This morning, are you experiencing these symptoms? These are all spiritual signs that there's something really wrong with Jonah's heart. So how do we get away from that? How do we not let idols fester in our hearts? By seeing Christ. Seeing Christ. Seeing him as the one who was cast out on our behalf. Seeing him as the one who pitied us enough to take the wrath of God on the cross for our sins. 
seeing Him as the one who was buried in the grave for three days and three nights on our behalf. Seeing Him as our glorious Savior who rose from the grave and conquered death. When that happens in our heads, in our hearts, worship arises. And worship is what kills idols. Worship is what what kills all those other things that compete against our God. Even the things that I love, my identity, my reputation, my money, my wealth, my pride, and whatever it may be. Why? Because we have a greater treasure, the greatest gift ever. What is that? That's Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Evergreen Church, may we continue to labor and run to Christ as we see Him. May we take that joy and use it to put to death the idols in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you for reminding us that you are the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. You're sovereign over all things. You are the God that controls every single molecule in the universe. There is no one mightier than you. And Father, and yet, you are a merciful and righteous God filled with incredible compassion and amazing grace. It gives us great joy knowing that you love us more than we can ever imagine. You proved it by giving your only precious son to us, the greater Jonah, who took the wrath and the storm of our sins. Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ and thank you for the gospel. And we worship you knowing that you are the author of salvation and that salvation belongs to you. May this gospel truth dominate our minds and our hearts. May you destroy the idols in our hearts and may our worship of you arise. May we continue to love what you love and may you supremely reside in our hearts forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.